Hello, and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye, and I'm director of the World Fellows program at Yale. My guest today is Elias Shonian, the former Deputy Foreign Minister of Liberia. Elias, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Emma. It's such a real great pleasure being with you this morning. So Elias, you're from Liberia, and Liberians have endured decades of civil war, followed by the Ebola epidemic. Can you give me a sense of the extent to which this has devastated the country? Has everyone been affected? Certainly, uh, Emma. uh, Liberia, even prior to the 14-year crisis, had seen uh, a downward spiraling uh, uh, society since 1980, uh, which ended the uh, 133 years of uh, minority or rule that uh, the American Liberians. Uh, unfortunately, the, that transition happened with uh, 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 an indigenous who did not have uh, any sense of governance, uh, uh, a master sergeant in the army in a very bloody coup, and, uh, and uh, he had a team around him, obviously, that uh, were from the army, and he, they all transitioned to governance with absolutely no sense of what is required. Uh, in uh, in leadership, and that was the beginning of the downward uh, 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 spiraling of the Liberian society, and that leadership actually uh, pulled the society into the 14-year crisis in 1990 because there were a lot of reports of uh, corruption, uh, nepotism, and uh, witch hunting. And uh, many people term that administration as very atrocious, very atrocious, atrocious uh, 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 regime. And there was very, very deep division, not only between the American Liberians uh, and the indigenous, but even deeper, multi-layer conflicts uh, among the indigenous themselves who suffered the 133 years of suppression in the hands of the minority. And uh, we, we, we unfortunately uh, uh, ended that very uh, bloody uh, crisis in 2003, and entire, the entire society was affected by that crisis. Every family was affected uh, uh, also. Uh, the entire fabric of our society, the, soci- the socioeconomic, political fabric of our society were all broken down. And by 2003, the United States-led an effort to to transition Liberia by mobilizing uh, other like-minded nations around the world, particularly members of the uh, Security Council, to pass a resolution that saw 17,000 strong UN force in Liberia uh, by late 2003 to keep peace and uh, to facilitate the transition of Liberia to democratic governance. And that uh, was very successful. That was uh, one of, in my opinion, a model of UN intervention successes. And uh, 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 that effort was uh, also was shadowed by an interim administration in Liberia, which transitioned the country in a democratic uh, process in 2005, which saw the first the election of the first female president on the continent of Africa, uh, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf election. And so do you feel Liberia is now moving in a positive direction? Uh, uh, 
I think we're in a state of confliction, I would say, because uh, following the immediate uh, transition to democratic governance, uh, we, we, we saw a government that was extremely proactive and uh, that opened up our borders and uh, encouraged uh, Liberians, professional Liberians in the diaspora to return and contribute to the rebuilding of their country. And there, were, there was an influx of so many uh, professional uh, Liberians and, and uh, just ordinary Liberians, ordinary folks who saw a glimpse of hope in the future of their country after so many years of uh, a very deep conflict. Uh, and uh, everyone, many Liberians were extremely positive, including myself, of the future of Liberia. Because uh, uh, in two, when, when, when Ellen Johnson Sirleaf assumed leadership in 2000 and 2006 January, they, the economy of Liberia was around uh, 5% growth. And between 2006 to 2013, right before the Ebola, Liberia was was uh, was recording 8.8% growth. And per capita income as well has grown more than 100% to about $777 from $306 uh, between 2006 and 2013. Then Ebola struck, unfortunately. When that energy uh, was so high, the economy was throbbing, and uh, they, uh, there was so much positive and, and optimistic look, outlooks uh, for Liberia. All of the economic and social numbers were all moving exponentially. And uh, 2014 uh, was a big reverse of all of the gains that were made. And uh, because the crisis was so uncertain, uh, there were a lot of uncertainty, uncertainties around the crisis because Ebola was new to Liberians. We didn't have any sense of, uh, of how devastating that, uh, that outbreak was going to be. And businesses were shutting down and uh, leaving Liberia because of the uncertainties caused by the virus, by the outbreak. And uh, thousands of people uh, got infected and thousands lost their lives. More than 11,000 persons were infected by the virus. And uh, out of that number, 4,800 uh, lost their lives. So it was terrible. It was a very horrific uh, period in Liberia. I do, re I, do, I do remember as an official of government, when I, I was in the U.S. Uh, <clears throat> at the, during the, earlier, the earliest part of the, of the virus uh, outbreak in Liberia, uh, facilitating the government of Liberia uh, participation at the U.S.-Africa summit, which was, uh, was scheduled at the time for, for August under President Obama's administration. And uh, I, every time I got uh, to my hotel room and turned on, turned on the TV and I, I saw what was happening in my country, it was real heartbreaking, but I still decided to return. But interestingly, there were other government officials in Liberia that were running away from the crisis, particularly those who uh, came from the diaspora. They were returning to their families and uh, not resigning, but just ret retreating instead of engaging. And so I remember when I was returning uh, that September and, uh, at JFK, and the border security uh, when a lady saw my passport and she said, are you going to Liberia? And I said, yes, I am. She said, do you know what's going on in Liberia? I said, sure, I do. She said, and you going there? I said, sure, I don't have a choice because that's home for me. Uh, the fire is up. I have to go and join others to find a way to address that because uh, the entire future of Liberia 
it's on it's, it's, it's in a balance at the moment. We have to do all we can. I would prefer the uh, uh, dying, fighting to resolve that than to run away from it. And then you won't believe she did the sound of the cross and wished me well. <laughs> <laughs> That's very, very powerful that what you just said. And you have served your country for years. What is it that makes you most proud to be Liberian? Uh, what makes me proud to be a Liberian is um, is uh, the, uh, Liberia has made some real tremendous history. Um, uh, in, in years back, we the first independent republic in Africa, we were the light uh, on the continent. Uh, at the time when Africa was, was referred to as the dark continent of Africa, we were the only light uh, uh, along with Ethiopia, uh, which was also not colonized as Liberia. And uh, and uh, and Liberia was a test of uh, self-governance of, uh, of Africans uh, because it was the first republic, the first uh, opportunity for Africans to prove that they had the capacity and the ability to govern themselves. So I would say Liberia was a test case of uh, which led to the transition and the decolonization of many other countries in Africa. And Liberia was definitely in that struggle, arm in arm with many other countries that were suffering, that were suffering colonialism at the time. Uh, the uh, former president Nelson Mandela sought sanctuary, uh, 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 sought, sought refuge in Liberia on multiple occasions. He even used the Liberian passport, which was issued to him to facilitate his travel globally when he was denied passport of his by his own country. And not just him, but many other Julius Nareri and many other uh, uh, great uh, funding members, funding leaders of Africa, souls, uh, uh, inspiration and strength and courage from Liberia. And, uh, and not just that, Liberia was uh, one of the funding members of the OAU. And not just that, during the formation of the OAU, there were two blocks uh, arguing ideologically how the structure and uh, the, the, of the OAU should be, and the vision, the objective. For, and Liberia headed one of those groups. Uh, so there was the, the, the Liberia group, and the, the Monrovia group in Liberia, and the Casablanca group. And uh, because Liberia was, was advocating gradual, uh, incremental uh, African Union, and thus not an African Union of, of countries, and not one Africa as a, as a country. And the other group was advocating a radical, a radical shift that is uh, an Africa as a single country. And, uh, but uh, at the end of the day, Liberia's, uh, Liberia's uh, a compromise was made, and uh, Liberia's uh, uh, proposition was what was settled with. And uh, we, uh, the AU was, uh, African Union was established as uh, an organization of countries across Africa. Uh, and uh, and then we also produced the first woman president in Africa. That's uh, huge. Which we all feel real proud of. And many uh, women organizations said that uh, the glass ceiling in Africa was broken. But uh, I believe that the, the, grass, the glass ceiling was not broken. It was cracked. We need to continue to break that ceiling down because there are still a lot of impediments and barriers to uh, women meeting their full potential on the continent of Africa. So we, we need to continue to fight until every woman has an opportunity to achieve their full potential. So how is Liberia doing now in comparison with other African countries? Unfortunately, uh, not very well. Uh, 
the numbers, the economic and social numbers seem uh, to be declining uh, very rapidly. Uh, Liberia's economy in 2017 was projected was three was about 3.2 percent and was projected uh, by 2019 to have been uh, about 4.7 uh, percent by IMF. Unfortunately, today we we basically talking about uh, recording zero point zero. Uh, we're talking about recording zero point four percent instead, not even one percent. So that is very concerning by not just. Uh, Liberians, but the international community. And uh, in all respect, there's been a lot of reverse of uh, some of the gains that we made. So we, we can only continue to encourage the government to to take the necessary steps that will uh, keep the country uh, afloat and keep the country moving as a responsible member of the Committee of Nations and to respond to the very urgent needs of the people of Liberia. Because uh, Liberia is counted as one of the poorest countries. Uh, in the world. And uh, I think uh, noting Liberia's history, that's very shameful and very uh, 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 paradoxical, I would say, in a sense, because at the time, Liberia was the hope to so many countries many years ago. And uh, to see us decline in such a way, uh, what I take out of that is the, the indispensability of peace and security to uh, the growth and prosperity of any nation, because Liberia has been in crisis for a very long time now. And you served for years as a diplomat. What made you want to be a diplomat? Uh, uh, you know, interesting question because becoming a diplomat was was an accident, actually. It was not a decision that I made uh, from high school or in college. I think uh, my, my path was shaped by circumstances uh, of the time because... Uh, I, I did not have money to pursue what I really wanted to have uh, pursue uh, because I actually, from high school, was hoping that I would be an, an aeronautic engineer, <laughs> you know. But uh, at the time that I uh, left high school, I didn't have the resources and the support to uh, continue to pursue that objective. So I was shipped by the wind. Wherever I saw an opportunity to learn something, I took advantage regarding half, uh, the resources to pay for, for what I wanted. So I got some uh, uh, scholarships, I got financial aid, and wherever they were available, in wherever feed, I, I tried to learn that. But uh, now, uh, but looking back, I've now come to realize that my life was shaped for today, because in diplomacy, you. You have to be broad in terms of a knowledge. You have to have a very broad knowledge, a little of almost everything, because you will be negotiating uh, biological and chemical warfare, uh, warfare and weapon. And you may not be an expert, but at least you should have some broad understanding of how these, uh, these uh, uh, phenomena uh, operate, uh, both locally and internationally. So learning... Uh, sociology, demography, and then uh, English literature, and then uh, 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 international relations and diplomacy, and uh, public administration, public policy, specialized in development policy, all put together, I think, have uh, prepared me for the diplomatic challenges that I've uh, successfully overcome, uh, overcame in the past. And uh, uh, looking to the future, it will continue to empower me and strengthen me to continue to engage and to perform uh, duties within the, uh, the fears of my diplomatic uh, uh, career. 
So I have to ask you, you know, what does the future hold for you? What is going to happen to you after Yale? Yep. Yeah. Uh, firstly, I should say that uh, my time at Yale has really uh, reshaped my uh, my career goals, and not just that, also my worldview, and uh, uh, and has also given me uh, an opportunity to reflect on my own personal direction as well. So, uh, moving forward, I still would like to continue to contribute to my country in, in any way I can. It does not necessarily have to be government because I have I don't have an immediate government ambition currently, uh, maybe moving to government, but uh, uh, I'm looking into the future, uh, hoping that uh, I, I can again uh, have uh, an opportunity to serve at some point. But in the meantime, I intend to continue to contribute outside of government. I will, uh, I run a small foundation that has been uh, supporting uh, uh, youth in many areas, uh, career development for young uh, professionals, mid-level professionals, and uh, and uh, we've been also providing uh, uh, career choice uh, uh, for uh, advice for uh, college and high school students, and we provide been providing scholarships also to a particular important cohort in our society particularly the generation that lost an opportunity for an education during the course of our crisis. In 14 years, they, they, they could not. They were, they, were, they were youthful at the time. But as a result of the crisis, they could not uh, access education. Today, they are, they are men and women. They are married. Many of them got family. But they don't have the, the employability skills to be able to fend uh, for their family and to be able to impact their children's lives and to make uh, responsible citizens out of their children. So I think that's extremely dangerous if we ignore that. So uh, my foundation has been providing uh, uh, technical and vocational skills to these to this cohort on a small scale, though. I'm looking forward to expanding that to be able to reach as many persons as possible. So I will continue to, to engage in that sphere. But I'm also looking to uh, establishing uh, a mentoring a program for many universities and high schools in Liberia. To, we're doing it at a small scale. At a personal scale, I mentor more than 200 young wow. people, many of whom I've not even met because many of them will contact me uh, on uh, social media platforms and they're not known. They've been following me. Many of them had been following me in the past and then one day they would just do the acts. They would just say the acts. Say, look, uh, sorry, I've been following you and uh, I want to thank you for your service to country and I would like for I would like to be a mentee. And I hardly uh, refuse, <laughs> you know. So I, 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 in fact, uh, I had two, uh, two, men, two men, mentees at Harvard. One graduated uh, last year uh, with an uh, with a international relations degree, and there's another still still there. I also got uh, two at the New York State University, and there was one at uh, there was one at uh, uh, Georgetown. He also graduated, did foreign 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 affairs. And there are a lot more in Liberia, a whole lot more. So I want to expand that and make that in, uh, institutional so we can now build it in the structure of universities. I can work with these universities so that every Liberian going through a university should have an opportunity of uh, a mentoring experience to be mentored and to also mentor as well. <laughs> 
Well, Elias, I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you very much. Thank you, Emma, and thanks uh, for your leadership on uh, this uh, this World Fellow Program. And uh, I can imagine uh, so many others in the future uh, going to benefit uh, from your very seven-like uh, leadership and your very inspiring and uh, willing team. Uh, my very best regard and very deep, sincere appreciation to all of you for the work and this, uh, the support you've given me over the last four months. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>